Jesus said to Mary, woman, whom are you seeking? In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, friends. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. You may not know that Alleluia, Christ is risen is, a Greek, is an English translation of the Greek. And the past two services, I've asked if anybody knew what it was. And the Greek is, anybody know? Christos Aneste. It sounds so much cooler in Greek. I don't know. Anyway, today is the feast of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, where we are celebrating something so profound and so life-changing that it's, it almost, almost is beyond comprehension. Because what we're here to do today is talk about not somebody who just was rejuvenated or revivified or came back from, you know, a near-death experience. No. This is all about Jesus Christ as the victor, the one who conquers death, the one who conquers every problem that you and I struggle against. In fact, if you can see it, if you're in the back a little bit, there's a stained glass window over the altar, uh, and there's a picture of Christ with a crown, and he's holding an orb, which is the earth. And that image is known as Christ Pantocrator, which means ruler of all things. That's what we're here to talk about today. And I want to say this too, and I'll be totally blunt and transparent. I'm a straight shooter, by the way, in case you don't know me, and many of you don't. But uh, if, if this did not happen, right, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, then Christianity is a lie, and you and I are all a bunch of suckers. And in fact, I'm not just being funny. Paul actually says this very thing. He doesn't say it like that. He says it like this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not been raised, okay, if this didn't happen, then you, are, then you, you y'all, are still in your sins and your faith is in vain, a colossal waste of time. So just to be transparent, Scripture says point blank, if this didn't happen, then game over. But, but if it did happen, it changes everything. If Jesus Christ really rose from the dead and in so doing, by definition, conquers death, he beats your enemy and mine, our ultimate enemy, man, that changes everything. It has to change everything. And I'll confess to you this morning, friends, uh, that I didn't always believe this, in fact, when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, uh, I didn't believe in the resurrection any more than I believed in the Easter bunny or gnomes or, you know, whatever. I didn't believe this stuff. And in fact, if you don't know me, I, I'm uh, by, by nature a left-brained guy. I was an engineer in my corporate world before I went to uh, seminary. In graduate school, I taught statistics and scientific research methods. And so I'm a proof guy, man. If you're going to make a claim, you better be able to you better be able to support it. You better be able to prove it to me. Well, let me just say this. Um, there is, there is, there is, listen, irrefutable proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In fact, one historian said, there is more proof that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than that Julius Caesar was the emperor of Rome. And I'll be honest with you, for the past six years that I've been here, I've preached my Easter sermon from this very angle. I'd get up here and I'd lay out the history and I'd lay out the logic and I'd lay out the facts because that's kind of how my brain works. 
And if you want the facts, if you want the proof, if you want the evidence, go back to my sermon from last year. It's on the website. And you can see all the details laid out. But I'm not going to do that this morning. I'm not going to give you the facts. I'm not going to give you the evidence. And I'll tell you why. And this is a, uh, an honest confession to you. I don't think it does any good. I mean, the reason is simple, right? That facts don't convert people. Didn't convert me. I mean, the facts of the resurrection allowed me to kind of get away, get rid of some of the challenges I had in my faith, right? And saw it, maybe gave it a fresh perspective, but facts don't convert people, right? In fact, sermons don't convert people either. either. And in fact, preachers, whether they're good or bad, preachers don't convert people. Even when the sermon, like today, is an hour and a half long. <laughs> I am under, I'm not here to convince you, man. I'm not here to convince anybody, and I know I can't anyway. Because see, it's not me, it's not the facts, it's Jesus that converts people. Amen? He is the one, and it sounds trite, but it's actually True. And, and the, story, the story of the conversion of the human heart is always the same. The details differ, and the characters differ, but the story is always the same. Jesus always, listen, and this is what I'm going to talk about today. Jesus always converts the human heart in a personal encounter. What does that mean? I'll get to that in a second. But Jesus always converts the human, the human heart in a personal encounter, whether you're Mary Magdalene or me or you or anybody who's ever become a Christian. Stories of Jesus, how he changes people over the next six weeks in Easter. We'll be talking about this every week. Different encounters that Jesus has with Doubting Thomas, St. Paul, the men on the road to Emmaus. It's always the same, friends. It's a personal connection with Jesus. And so today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to consider something simple and profound. I want you to consider a story and this very interaction I'm talking about between Jesus of Nazareth, who's been raised from the dead, and a woman named Mary of Magdala. Mary Magdalene, we call her. Everybody in the New Testament is named Mary. You ever notice that? You can't, you can't swing a cat in the New Testament without hitting a, without hitting a Mary. Everybody's named Mary. But today... We're going to talk about Jesus Christ and his encounter with Mary Magdalene. And really, I want you to see how this story isn't about Mary, it's about you. It's two points today. I'm going, to look at our, I'm going to look at Mary as the example of our blindness to Jesus, point one. And then secondly, my second point is the power of a name. The power of a name. So, before we get to point one, which is our blindness to Jesus, let me just give you a a minute of background of what's going on, because you might not know. Uh, the, the reading from John's Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all report that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. They give different details, right, like any biography would. But John tells us that it's early on Sunday morning while it's still dark, and Jesus is, or was, dead. And Jesus' friend, Mary Magdalene, she wakes up early Sunday morning and goes to the tomb to, listen, to prepare his body 
for burial. Now, why does she do that? Well, if you know your history, Jesus Christ is crucified on Good Friday. The Jewish Sabbath starts at 5 p.m. Friday night, so they've got to get him off the cross and into the ground quickly before the Sabbath begins because a Jew can't touch a dead body on the Sabbath. And so they put him in the tomb quickly, and now Mary goes back on Sunday, the day after the Jewish Sabbath, to finish the job to go and anoint the body of her friend whom she loves for burial, at significant risk to herself, I might add. And so she goes to the tomb, and as you know, she finds, she finds it empty. Now, don't, don't over-religious this, right? She goes back, she sees it's empty, and she goes back to Peter and John. Peter and John are two of the other apostles. I guess they're sleeping in, I don't know where they are, but... She goes back to Peter and John, and she says something obvious. She does not say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. She says, he is stolen. Now, just realize, these are real people, right? This is a real story. This really happened. And who can blame her? I mean, who can blame her? I mean, can I just make an obvious point? You know, whether you're in the first century or now, dead people stay dead, right? Amen? Okay, so you guys awake today? <laughs> nobody expected, nobody expected Jesus to rise from the dead. And not only, I mean, to us it sounds impractical or improbable or miraculous, that's fine, but in the first century, they had a worldview called Gnosticism, which meant that physical stuff was bad and spirit, whatever that is, is good. And so to have a resurrected body was, was not even something you'd want. But Mary, she tells Peter and John, they think she's nuts, and she goes back to the tomb to try to find him anyway. She goes back, she returns to the tomb. Listen, listen, listen. This is where it gets really cool. She returns to the tomb, and she sees him. She sees him, but she doesn't actually, doesn't see him. You know what I mean? Like, she sees somebody there. She sees him with her eyes, but she doesn't actually, it doesn't click. She doesn't get it. She doesn't see him. And she sees the Son of God, the creator of the universe, who has been raised from the dead, and she sees him and she mistakes him for the gardener. That's funny. I think. John says she mistook him for the gardener. And the point I want you to see here, and this comes back to my original point about evidence. Look, Mary sees him. She's looking right at him. She has all the evidence she needs. She's staring him in the face. But she's not convinced, and neither would you be. Because no one is ever convinced by facts alone. And this brings me to my first point, which is, why not? Our own blindness to God. Well, I think there's probably three reasons why Mary and why you don't see him. The first thing I would say is Mary, Mary Magdalene had uh, issues. She would make a good contestant on Dr. Phil. <laughs> Matthew and Mark, Matthew and Mark, Mary had a past, right? Matthew and Mark tell us that she had seven demons cast out of her. Now, people have speculated what that means. Nobody knows. But whatever it was, Mary had, had issues, right? She had a past. And Jesus had healed her from this past, which is why she's his friend. She's, she's followed him because she knows he can do what he says and he says what he does. But Mary had a past, and it blinded her. It blinded her. 
Reminds me of a story about a guy who was, uh, a guy said, Bill, you know, you look depressed. What's the problem? Bill says, you know, man, I'm thinking about my future. And he says, well, what makes it so hopeless? Why are you so upset? And he goes, well, because I can't forget my past. Right? The past. You can't change it. Can't do anything about it. You've all got one. So do I. And some of us live in it. I go back to, if I go back to Pennsylvania where I grew up, I graduated in 1987. I am 50 years old, right? I'll go back up there now. I'll see guys I graduated from high school, and they're still there, man. They're still living in high school. It's like, pal, man, it's, that was 30, 40 years ago. Some of us live in the past, right? We're just, some of us are stuck there. Some of us are stuck in it. But, but let me just say this, and it's, it's obvious, but it's, it's important. All of us, whether you're Mary or me or you, all of us are affected by it. We've all had things happen to us, right, in the past, whether it's how we were raised or somebody wronged us or something which made us bitter and angry and frustrated or we've been hurt by other people. Anybody? Or maybe something we've done, right? We've done lots of stuff, right? We've done things we regret, and we're shamed by that. But the point I want you to see is the past, friends, whether it's things that have been done to you or things you have done, it blinds you and it blinds me. Blinded Mary. I had a friend of mine at Penn State named Walt, and uh, he he told me he was raised as a Christian. He kind of gave it up, at least when I knew him. He kind of gave it up because, because of his mom, actually. And I'll tell you what happened. He, uh, he would, his mother uh, never worked, and she didn't work because she was lazy, according to him. That's what he said. And he and his siblings would get together for, for dinner on Sunday evening, and uh, his mom would be talking about Jesus, which, okay, good. And then she would say, she would get, and invariably, he told me the conversation would move towards money, right? And then she would say, well, you know, boys, the Lord will provide and Walt said we would all look at each other and we knew it was time to reach in and pull out a 20, right? And what she was really doing was using guilt to manipulate her kids. And that affected him. It should. But what about you? Just own it, man, right? You all got stuff. So everybody does. It's part of being a human being, living in a fallen world. We've all got a past. What about you? What about your past holds you back from Jesus? What about your past blinds you to the work, his work in your life. Because your past can keep you, and it did for me for a long time, from recognizing Jesus, who's right in front of you, but also so can not only your past, but also so can the present. What do I mean? Let's go back to the story and look at Mary. Mary of Magdala. Here you are, Mary Magdalene, right? It's early in the morning, Sunday morning. You've got just one item on your to-do list. Just one thing. It's a biggie. Anoint your friend Jesus for burial. That's the one item on your iPhone. It's the one reminder you have that goes off whenever you uh, forget to do it. Prepare Jesus' body for burial. That is your task for the day. And I want, to, I want you to consider something, that Mary's busyness, her busyness, her present, that blinds her to Jesus too, just like her past. Jesus is li literally... <laughs> staring her in the face, and she thinks he's the gardener. And she says to him, she says to him, well, have you taken the body? She's looking at him. 
She's staring him in the face, and she's so consumed with what the task is at hand, her busyness, that she can't actually see him. Have you taken his body, she asks him. Let's turn this around, right? Because the camera is not on Mary, it's on me and you. How many of us, how many of, how many of you get so wrapped up in the day-to-day tasks of our lives that we neglect our relationship with the Lord? We all do it. This church isn't packed every Sunday. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I do it too. I'll tell you how. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the rector of this parish. Rector is the fancy Episcopal term for chief pastor. So basically, everything that goes on in this complex, which is massive, comes across my desk in one form or another. I've got lots of great staff, and lots of great people that I work with. Even my assistant's pretty good on a good day. See back there? He's a wonderful guy. It's a, one, it's a labor of love. I love it, but I will confess to you for, amongst my friends here that there are days, there are days when I get so wrapped up in staff meetings or project plans or working with Father Gritter on the school we're putting in. I'll talk about that later. I get so wrapped up in all the stuff of the day that I forget to pray. I get so wrapped up in the things of the day that I, I neglect my relationship with the Lord. So it's not just you. We all do it. It's part of the human condition. Somebody once said to me, this is very wise, this is good advice. If you only hear one thing today, hear this. Somebody once said to me that whatever you do instead of Jesus, you're doing instead of Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. So say you skip church on a Sunday because you want to go hang with your kids for softball. Well, you've put your kid's softball game in front of the Lord. (laughs) Or say you want to go make some extra money on a Sunday afternoon, a Sunday morning rather than being in church. Well, you're putting money in front of the Lord. Or say you want to sleep in because you're, I don't know, whatever. It could be anything, right? You don't say your prayers because of X, Y, Z. Just realize that you are putting X, Y, or Z in front of your relationship with the Lord. Do you see it? The busyness of our world gets in the way. It takes our eyes off the Lord. You know, my dad used to tell me when I was a kid, and he's right, that life is all about priority, Right? Life's all about priority, and if you want your life to work well, you've got to start with the number one priority, which is Jesus. Life is all about priority, and my dad was right. We let, the, we let the busyness of our lives get in the way of our relationship with God. Friends, we, we focus on small, stupid things, and then we wonder why our lives feel small and stupid. So what blinds us to Jesus? Well, our baggage from our past, that's a biggie. The busyness of the present, that's another zinger. But there's one more, one more thing, which I think blinds Mary and me and you. The future. So you're Mary Magdalene. You're talking to the gardener. And she says, sir, tell me, she's talking to Jesus. Sir, tell me where he is, Jesus is, so I can take him away. The third thing which keeps Mary from recognizing recognizing Jesus is her, her worry. Her worry about getting things done, that things aren't going to be done right. You ever notice something? I had a friend of mine, my, my spiritual director in seminary, his name was Father Don Gross. May he rest in peace. Funny side note, Don Gross was my spiritual director. He was in charge of helping me become a good seminarian. He was also, I found out later, he's a PhD psychologist, and he was a diocesan exorcist. So I had all the bases covered, right? I got the big guns, man. He was a wonderful, wonderful guy. Love Don Gross. I loved him very, very much. He once said to me, he goes, you know, he goes, 
Rodriguez, did you ever consider something? He said that worry is trying to solve a problem that has not yet occurred. <laughs> That's wise. His worry is trying to solve a problem that has not yet occurred. Or you could even, what, what does Jesus say about this? Jesus says, can any of you, this is a rhetorical question, can any of you by, by worrying add a single hour to the span of your life? The answer, of course, is what? No. Most things in your life and mine, friends, are outside of your control. Most things in your life and in mine are outside of your control. And we focus on the what ifs, right? We make all these contingency plans. What if? Rather than focusing on the what is, the only period of time that you can affect is the present. So Mary's baggage, her past, blinds her. Her present busyness blinds her. Her future worry blinds her. All the facts are in. She still can't see them. My second point then, what does Jesus do? Well, what changes Mary? What converts her? What converts you? One word. One word. Mary. She says, sir, where is, where is his body so I can bury him and do what I got to do? He says, Mary. He calls her by name. And she sees him instantly. Because Mary is not converted by the evidence, neither are you. Mary is not converted by the facts, neither are you. She's, he's standing right in front of her. And she's blind to him until, listen, she's a personal encounter with Jesus. It's always the same, friends. We're going to look the next three weeks, four weeks in our sermons. It's always the same dynamic. What converts a person is a personal encounter with Jesus. So here's my question for you. Has God ever called you? The answer is yes. Has God ever called you? And You know, like maybe the time, maybe it was the time when, maybe it was the time when uh, the Lord brought, put somebody in your life who said, who came in sort of out of nowhere, right? And said exactly the right thing at exactly the right time and exactly what you had to hear. Ever happened to you? Yes. Or maybe it's, maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's this strength you get to put away an old habit, smoking or drinking or could be a million things, who knows what it is. And the Lord just gave you that blessing, that, that strength. Well, that's a call. Maybe it's the assurance you felt when you read the scriptures and you realize that in accord with God as the victor, there are no coincidences in life and that God has it. You know it. You know what it feels like to get a call from the Lord. I do too. We dismiss it a lot of times, but you know it. We've all felt it. How has God called you? How is he calling you? Because you know something, every single person is in this room for one reason. And it's not because your wife made you come and bring the kids. <laughs> Maybe it is, I don't know. Every, every person in this room is really only here for one reason. You know what it is? You know, you know what the reason is? Every human heart is looking for victory. Every human heart wants salvation. Every human heart wants freedom from the past. From your present trying to figure it all out and from your future worry. But if Christ is the victor, you see, the battle is already won. And if Christ calls you by name, it's up to you 
to respond. If you want that victory in your life, and he's raised from the dead, then he, by definition, can give it to you. There's an old saying, and no one's ever, no, this is the third mass I've preached. No one's told me the answer to this question yet. If you know what it is, tell me afterwards. There's an old saying that today is the first day of the rest of your life. You ever heard that? Sounds like some kind of refrigerator or magnet thing. It's probably Ziggy. Remember that little cartoon guy? Maybe, I don't know. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. That is true. That is true. Every day is an opportunity to make a change and make a decision. But what is also true is that today might be the last day of your life. Friends, the point I want you to see here, the time is short. The stakes are too high to let this go another year. The life that Jesus Jesus offers you is so much better than the one you settle for now. Let me challenge you, let me challenge you to stop and think and make a decision to follow him, to respond to his call and see how he works your life out for good. Don't let this Easter be another one and done. Don't make this Easter be another check the box and go to brunch. Don't let it happen. If you want victory, if you want victory in your life, you must say yes to his call. The choir is going to sing in a few moments one of my favorite pieces of music, Christus Vincit, Christ, Christ is Victorious. You'll hear it in a minute. It's a small, quiet piece. <laughs> nah, not. But I want you to hear what it says, and I want you to read the words, and I want you to let that soak in. If you want victory, you can have it, but it's your call. You can be a slave to the baggage of your past. You can be a slave to the busyness of the present. You can be a slave to the worries of your future, which you cannot control, and neither can I. Or you can have victory through Jesus Christ. But, friends, but the choice is up to you. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus who rose victorious from the dead and offers us new life, the life we've always wanted and found elusive. Free us from the baggage of our past. Save us from the busyness of our present. Give us the confidence and assurance despite the unknown of the future. Help us remember that Jesus Christ is victorious. He wins, and he calls each of us by name. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.